Michelle Pelazon, your host and the head witch in charge here at Holisticism. And today we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome. We're going to talk about the amount of online experts <laughs> out there that exist. And we're going to talk about how to establish credibility in your space without being an asshole. <laughs> man, I crack myself up sometimes. I am stoked to talk about this because I just taught a class with my friend Amanda Huggins on, well, a couple things. I've been thinking about this and talking about all of these sort of topics sort of floating out in my little, you know, etheric atmosphere for the last couple of weeks. I just had a class with my friend Amanda Huggins on imposter syndrome. And let me just tell you, imposter syndrome is not something I think about a lot. I think kind of because now I know. No, I don't think. I know because when I start thinking about imposter syndrome, all of a sudden I start worrying about imposter syndrome. And so it's kind of like in Scooby-Doo, you know, the cartoon where the Scooby gang would be like walking down a set of stairs in some creepy, you know, haunted house. And then they'd like flip a switch and the stairs would turn into a slide and it would take them down to like a basement. And then they'd be locked in the basement with the evil guy. That's kind of what I feel like imposter syndrome is. It's this very slippery slope of like, if I walk on the stairs, it will take me into the fiery pits of hell and imposter syndrome and I will question everything that I am and why I exist in the world. So if I just avoid those stares, I don't need to think about it, which I would say probably isn't the healthiest form of action. But you know, what can we do? We can't be perfect all the time and healthy in everything that we do. But it ended up being a lovely experience to work with Amanda on this because she's so smart and she's such a great teacher when it comes to working through anxiety and personal development stuff. And I learned a lot about myself and my own sort of like reckoning with imposter syndrome through talking about it and teaching it to other people, which we're going to talk about in this episode. But I also was talking to my friend, Emily Rousseau, who's an astrologer. She's been on the podcast before about the, just the pace of the online world. We were talking about things like cancel culture and just how divisive the internet is because Emily recently got off of Instagram and I'm itching to follow suit. To be honest, I'm a little too much of a scaredy cat, I think, to completely delete my Instagram, but we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll work the ovaries up to do it at some point in my life. But we were talking about how we don't afford ourselves the spaciousness of time to really come to a determination around what we're seeing on Instagram, on social media, in the internet. If you think about, especially with Instagram activism, which is, I feel like, a great example of where we see this a lot, something happens and we are immediately asked to respond and to have a clear, considered, thoughtful, and actionable response to what we see. And while I think that that's generally a good thing, right, that we want to engage people and ask them to not avoid topics or conversations that are difficult, this is like sort of taken on, it's become a beast of its own and taken on a life of its own where everyone has this sense of urgency or it feels like everyone has this sense of urgency to respond on the internet immediately. And if people don't reply or if they don't respond or they don't come out with a public statement, we're really quick to call them, you know, unethical or bad people or to, I mean, sometimes even try to cancel them. Right. And that feels so black or white. It seems so radical and not in a good way. 
an extreme to ask people to make up their minds and not change their minds and come to the right decision instantaneously when there is so much complexity and nuance in every single situation that we see on the internet. And we joked about the memification of astrology when Emily was on the podcast, but that's also just what happens on the internet, right? On social media, there's a flattening of these experiences of these dimensional nuanced experiences and situations that happen. And there's not always a clear black or white answer. There's often not a clear black or white answer. Really, most of the time, the answer is somewhat gray and evolving and changing and ebbing and flowing and transforming. And we ideally, as people, especially as really intelligent, thoughtful people, should give ourselves the spaciousness to change our minds to have a couple days to like think about how something's working for us and to maybe like mull it over and really consider it and think about it. I know that my gut reaction a lot of the time is not like the right answer. <laughs> I'm an emotional projector. So there's almost no truth in my emotions when I first feel them. I really need to like sit in something and let my emotional wave sort of ride. And sometimes my emotional wave, if something is really intense, can be many days that I need to like sort of let myself chill. Sometimes it could be just one night that I have to sleep on a decision or an idea or my perspective. But Emily and I were just talking about that and it made me think about how we're so quick to call ourselves experts or to push ourselves to be experts online. And it's so easy to do that, right? Anyone can put expert in their Instagram bio or on their sales page or in their marketing copy. And all of a sudden, that's what you are. And while that's kind of cool and interesting because it doesn't necessarily gatekeep information and access because we have the internet. So someone could be an expert in something who never studied it in school or who's had a ton of experience in it, or even someone could be an expert or considered an expert who's very young. And traditionally, we wouldn't consider young people to be experts in anything. They have to sort of pay their dues, right? That's a very patriarchal idea. But on the flip side of that, if anyone can call themselves an expert, then it kind of like demeans this word or takes some value away from this word. And I think a lot of the time we rush to call ourselves experts or become experts in a space because of imposter syndrome, because we're looking for credibility, because we're looking for something that's going to prove our worth. And the truth is like, mm, nothing's going to prove your worth, dude, <laughs> to anyone. Nothing can or will. You can't change how people decide to perceive you or understand you. All you can really do is do your own work, put your head down and look at yourself and do the work to create credibility. And I want to say like maybe the word ethic, credible, ethical work in yourself, work that you can stand behind. And I think that there's some sort of like weird formula or recipe combination that comes up of like, trying to project confidence and faking it till you make it, which is like, so not my bag or like acting as if. And part of that comes with creating really beautiful branding and calling yourself an expert and sort of like big chest talking, like, you know, talking a big game in order to make up for the areas and insecurities that we feel really small in. And I wonder instead if we can just like acknowledge that we might feel small, we might feel a little out of our depth, we might feel a little bit scared and that's okay. And we can still show up anyways. So I want to talk a little bit about that. 
<laughs> to be honest, I don't really have any answers. You know, I don't. I mean, I got some ideas, but I don't have the answer. And I think that's what we do here best at the 12th house at holisticism is say that we don't have those answers and give ourselves the spaciousness to kind of muddle through them together. And that's the point of intuitive business, right? It's not to like mm, go hard and fast and tell you that there's one right way to do things. The goal of intuitive business and running an intuitive business is to check in with yourself and to decide what's right for you in any given moment. We're so obsessed with black or white thinking because that's how our brains are hardwired. I'm reading this really great book called Black or White Thinking, which is fantastic. I can't recommend it enough, but we have black or white thinking because it's what keeps us safe, right? If we can categorize things into good or bad, into isn't going to kill me or could kill me, then that's more likely to keep us safe and keep us alive and keep us propagating this planet with more human beings, right? And our brains love to compartmentalize and to categorize anything that we possibly see. Again, keeps us safe. It's how we operate in the world. But black or white thinking can also really prevent us from having a full experience of living in the messy middle and living in the gray, which is usually where the most interesting things and also the most true things exist. It's where nuance and complexity lives and dimension lives. And that's where personally I want to be. I don't really want to be in that Instagram flattened one-dimensional black or white world that's so boring. <laughs> I want to live in the human world, which is messy and complicated and complex and emotional and both and. It can be two things at once. So let's talk a little bit I want to walk you through the four archetypes of imposter syndrome because I think it will be really helpful in just kind of planting ourselves in what might be potentially coming up for us if we're worried about not being good enough or not being expert enough. And we're either overcompensating by like blasting on billboards that we're the best expert, only expert in the world, or undercompensating by not taking ourselves seriously, not putting ourselves out there. And really like stealing opportunities from the potential people that we're here to serve and help. Because if you're not out there in the world doing your thing and helping the people that you're here to help, then they're just looking for you, right? They're like, where's my friend? Where's my person who's going to help me? And you're all self-conscious, worried that you're not good enough. And in the meantime, they really need you. So let's talk about the five archetypes of imposter syndrome. I love archetypes because I'm a spooky bitch and we have a really great podcast episode on the intro to archetypes. So if you want to check that out, it's in 2020 and it was a beloved episode. So many people downloaded it, but it'll tell you a little bit more about what archetypes are and how you can identify your own archetypes. But basically, Cliff's Notes version, we all contain multitudes. We contain infinite archetypes. We embody infinite archetypes, but we have our own like sort of set of archetypes that live with us and that we embody throughout our lives. They're kind of like our home archetypes or our, our personal archetypes. And we tend to have 12 to 15, but archetypes show up all over, right? We can play out archetypal relationships. We can have archetypal journeys that we embody. We have an archetypal intuitive entrepreneur journey, which we go over in the North Node, which is our private members community for intuitive entrepreneurs. And I'm going to talk today about the five archetypes of imposter syndrome and effectively kind of the roots of imposter syndrome. You can think of imposter syndrome as sort of this umbrella term. I don't really identify with imposter syndrome. Like when people say you have it, or I have it, or can you give me advice on imposter syndrome? At first blush, I'm like, no, 
I can't give you advice on that because I don't really identify with feeling like an imposter. Like I feel like myself. I know who I am. I've worked really hard to know who I am. Not saying that people who feel imposter syndrome haven't, but like, I just, I can't really relate to that at this point in my life. However, when I break the archetypes of imposter syndrome down, I identify so much with every single archetype of how imposter syndrome shows up. So while you might not feel like, you know, the sort of typical classic imposter of like, what am I doing here? Everyone's smarter than me. Oh, they're all going to figure out that I'm not good enough, right? Well, you might not identify with that. You might identify with some of these archetypes. And that has definitely been the case for me. And I want to call that out and just call that into action because we need to kind of understand the root of what motivates our lack of self-worth or the root of like what is coming up for us in terms of feeling insecure or feeling not good enough. If we understand that, then we can find an antidote for it, right? It's kind of like if we name something, we can claim it in ourselves. It, it And it also, when we name something, the shame around it goes away too. And so hopefully understanding these archetypes will give you some language around imposter syndrome that feels useful. So the five archetypes are superhero, natural genius, perfectionist, archetype, and soloist. So let's break them down. The first is the superhero. People who have the superhero imposter archetype set astronomically high bars for themselves and never are going to live up to their own expectations. So a good example would be someone who is like, I'm going to be the president one day, right? Or maybe, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. I'm going to be the president. Okay, great, cool. It's really hard to be the president. Even when you're like really amazingly talented and you've done decades of work and you've been an incredible leader and lawmaker, it's really hard to be voted as the president, right? I'm not saying it's impossible, but that's a, a very high standard and bar to set for yourself. So someone who maybe has a superhero archetype might put that for themselves, drive themselves really, really hard to meet that goal and always fall short of it. Or maybe someone who has a superhero archetype will say, you know what? This year, I'm going to make $5 million in my business. I am doing it. I'm going to like, gr I'm going to grind. I'm going to fucking hustle and make it happen. When last year in their business, they only made 25K not only 25K, but between 25K and $5 million, there's a big gap, right? And hello, we were in a pandemic last year. Like it's a rebuilding year. It's all good. But they give themselves a super high expectation, super high bar that's nearly impossible for them to achieve. If you think about how much you'd need to do in the span of a year to go from making $25,000 a year to $5 million a year, you'd need to create new systems. You'd need to hire a team. You'd need to scale yourself to insane levels. You need to take up and pick up lots of new skills and tool sets. You need to do lots of networking. It's not impossible, impossible, but it is almost impossible. It's not to say that you couldn't make $5 million in five years, but to make that leap would almost be setting yourself up for failure. And when someone has really high standards and goals for themselves, and sets a really an impossible goal. I actually love the exercise of setting an impossible goal because it asks you to work backwards and say, okay, well, what do I need to do or master or understand in order to get to that place? And 
then you start doing it. And you might not make your impossible goal, but you definitely have set yourself on track to get closer to that thing, right? When this could fail is when we are superheroes and we expect ourselves to meet that goal and then we don't. And we haven't given ourselves any grace or any opportunity to grow and evolve and to like make up for lost time. And we're just pushing, pushing, pushing constantly. And we have this expectation that we have to do it or else we're total and abject failures. Superheroes drive themselves really hard and they set this impossible standard for themselves. The next archetype is the natural genius. Natural geniuses remind me of the gifted and talented kids. So um, anyone out there who used to take a ton of APs and IB classes and, you know... always was at the top of your class, had a 4.7 GPA. You might identify with a natural genius. Natural geniuses are people who have naturally gifted, you know, extraordinary abilities, but they feel devastated the first time that they fail at, at something because life has been so easy for them. They've been so used to achieving and doing well. They haven't really had to work in the same way that someone who's not naturally gifted might have to work at something. And so the minute that their talent is sort of called into question, because most of their identity revolves around their natural, you know, gifted nature, they really start to question themselves. I totally relate to this, not because I'm a genius, but because I was a pretty talented dancer growing up and I was really lucky to have access to great teachers and to have a family that supported me and my education when it came to dance. So as a result, I got to practice a lot and I became really good at it. And I ended up going to college for dance. I went to NYU, which is the best school in the country. Or I haven't checked actually, because I don't really keep up with that stuff, but it was at the time for dance majors. And I remember walking into class and although I'd always been the best in my class growing up and going to summer camp and sitting in, you know, different academies, I felt so small and so not good enough at NYU, surrounded by, you know, 30, my 30 peers who were just so incredible at everything that they did. I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't cool enough. I wasn't talented enough. I didn't have enough to say. I just wasn't. And honestly, like as a result, for the four years I was at NYU, I really stayed small. Like I just didn't feel like I was good enough, even though I was, and even though I had amazing teachers and the environment was so supportive because I was just, I had this crazy imposter syndrome that like paralyzed me. And so maybe you relate to that of you were used to being the best or being really special or really talented. And then you walk into a room with other talented, special people. I I feel like I see this a lot in the wellness space too, where people are naturally gifted, maybe super psychic or intuitive. And then they meet people who, I don't know, have been doing this for 20 years and can see ghosts. And they're like, well, who am I to be practicing this work when like, I can't predict the future. or I don't see ghosts or my spirits aren't talking and ancestors don't talk to me and visit me at night. Like, how could I possibly be teaching spirituality to other people? And <laughs> if you're a natural genius, you're always going to find a way to make yourself be small in comparison to other people who are also naturally talented and naturally gifted. And just because someone else is also good at what they do doesn't mean that you're not good at what you do. Hi, are you a really, really cool person who loves and also sometimes loves to hate the wellness space, who wants to stay up to date with the latest trends and products and emerging companies in this industry, but who also 
deeply wrestles with the responsibility of being a conscious consumer whilst having a soft spot for gradients and well-designed packaging on everything from wellness supplements to clean beauty brands. Same, my friend, very, very much the same. We created The Cusp just for you and for us. The Cusp is our secret newsletter and members community where we look at products, ideas, services, modalities, and trends in the wellness zeitgeist, and we examine them through a consumption-critical and irreverent lens. It's like a group text with your favorite wellness-loving and loathing BFFs where you can talk about everything from the best organic unbleached tampon company to whether that hypey, overpriced wellness supplement is actually worth your hard-earned cash money. It's just a really fun place. So when you join the cusp, you'll get access to our secret members community and you'll get two emails a month. The first email will be an honest product review with industry experts and independent research. We'll take a deep dive on a product or a trend and see if it lives up to the hype. We'll talk to experts and get their opinions on it and also get clinical research on whether the product works or not. And when we like it and when it does work, we'll hook you up with a discount code. And you can guarantee that these reviews will always be unbiased and unfiltered because we don't know how to do anything that's not unfiltered here. Let's just be totally honest. None of this is sponsored content and none of it is affiliate content. So you can trust that we're telling you what we actually think about the product. And not only will we deliver a discount code and research from independent experts and our own thoughts and ideas, but we'll also tell you the dupes out there. So instead of having to buy that super expensive, super used stress formula from Moon Juice, you'll learn about two options that you can get that pretty much do the same thing that are half the price. And that, my friends, is what makes me really happy. In the second email of the month, we'll do an industry deep dive and trend market research report on the latest industry booms, niches on the rise, and what to look out for to keep in step with what's going on inside the wellness space. If you work in wellness or you're wanting to work in wellness, you're going to want to get in on these emails. Not only will you be the smartest person in your group chat talking about what's trending in wellness and well-being, but you'll also learn about potential new opportunities that you can pounce on yourself. So if you're thinking of starting an intuitive business or you already work in the wellness space and you want to get ahead, I very, very much recommend joining the cusp. It's only $5.99, which is like less than the cost of two kombuchas. And you get the first two weeks for free so you can try it out yourself. And Oh my God, I totally buried the lead. But in addition to our products of the week and our white papers, our research reports, and the freebies that you're going to get every single month, we also have an area called Windows of Opportunity where we put up amazing job openings that are vetted by our team for companies that are in the wellness industry that are vetted by us and that we know are in integrity and in alignment with the values of holisticism. So if you're looking for a job in this space and you want to make sure that you work with someone who is low-key awesome, then Windows of Opportunity is for you. And you get all of this inside the cuff. It's so cool. It's so fun. And honestly, it's something that we've been working on for a really long time. And we finally have the resources to be able to make it exactly how we wanted it. I cannot wait for you to join and to just spill tea with you inside of the cusps. So go ahead and sign up at holisticism.com backslash the dash cusp, and you can get in for two weeks for free. If you don't like it, 
No big deal. You can cancel before your two weeks are up, but I think you're going to like it. Here's what some of our CUSP members are saying about the CUSP. Rebecca says, I've always been seduced by this brand on a late a recent product review, but never purchased. I appreciate the reminder that they aren't the only business in the game providing these ingredients and these things aren't one size fit all. Thank you. This review might have finally helped me break the spell. Tatiana says, I've been waiting for this right here. I just started this product after coming off of another product and I wish I'd got this before I bought it, but I'm still excited to learn more about it. And now that I have the dupe, I'm so excited to see that I don't have to pay full price for it. Alyssa says, I appreciate you sharing more about these herbs because they are incredibly powerful and people need this type of knowledge to make safe, informed choices before purchasing. Bravo. Ray says, I am so jazzed about this new offering. This is exactly the no BS review that I've been needing. And Ashley says, this is amazing and so worth the extra $5 a month. As someone who wants to be healthy from the inside out and who's really into labels, this was so thorough. And I loved hearing an expert point of view with that expert's credentials. Oh my God, I am so thrilled and I will be buying the dupes. And that's just some of the people inside the cusp. There are so many amazing, fun, awesome humans and I just can't wait for this party to get started. So go on over to theholisticism.com backslash the cusp and join yourself. It's the first two weeks for free. You got nothing to lose. And trust me, you're just gonna have fun. We're really fun. And if you're really cool, you're gonna fit right in. All right. That's it. Let's go back to our regularly scheduled programming. The next archetype is the perfectionist. Oh, perfectionist. We know them. I know her. Uh, Perfectionists are, in terms of imposter syndrome, they are focused on their achievements so much with such myopic vision that they really can only focus on the flaws. Because their gaze is so narrow, they become obsessed with just seeing the things that aren't working. And I like to think of like pulling the blinders off when I think about a perfectionist because their vision is is so, 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 so laser focused. They're not seeing the forest for the trees, right? It's like in a pointillism painting, they're seeing a couple of orange dots and they're like, why the fuck is orange here? <laughs> it's supposed to be the ocean. Ocean's blue. But then when you pull it back, you see this beautiful pointillism painting and it totally makes sense that the orange is in the blue water. It, it's the reflection or whatever. I'm not an artist. You get what I'm saying. But perfectionist often suffer from really high levels of anxiety as well because they really fixate on like the flaws and the minute mistakes that they might make and they can't really celebrate or rest and sort of I guess luxuriate in the fact that they've done good work. The next archetype is the expert. I feel like this might resonate with a lot of you who want to call yourselves experts or or maybe yeah, want to call yourself an expert, but you're afraid to. Experts are the type of people who are constantly trying to learn more about their subject of choice, and they're never satisfied with their level of knowledge. They tend to underrate their own abilities, and they often look at certifications and ongoing education as sort of a way to get more credibility, right? If I go take that class at that university, then I can add a couple more letters at the end of my name, and that will make me look even better. And let me go take another certification course, and let me go sign up for another online class. And it's almost like their eyes are bigger than their brains, right? They don't have enough time and space to take in all this information and to really metabolize it. But they also say that, well, 
well, I can't do the thing. I can't call myself an expert until I've done five years of study, until I've gotten my PhD, until I've taken all of the online courses, this, that, and the other thing. There's always a reason that they're not knowledgeable enough. They just need to take one more class. They just need to do one more thing. And listen, I'm a lifelong learner. I am currently in my office. I've got I've got like seven unread books on my desk right now. I'm a book collector. I'm a course collector. I love learning. I'm a certification collector too. Like I'm a certified holistic nutritionist. I don't practice that, but yeah, I'm definitely certified to do it. And I really relate to someone who just loves learning more information and just wants to know more and is genuinely enthusiastic about what they do. So this shit is interesting to them, right? When you love your job or you're fascinated by your work, you just want to learn more and more and more about it. And that's awesome. It's kind of the opposite of this like pandemic of like the pseudo expert that lives on Instagram, right? Who like takes one or reads like one blog post and is like, I'm a growth marketer now. (laughs) It's like the opposite of that. It's the antithesis of that. It's the binary on the binary spectrum. It's on the other end. And while I think it's really good to study and to educate yourself, we can definitely use this as a crutch to not be in action and to not move forward and to not get ourselves out there and, and call ourselves experts in, in the space and to not claim our knowledge. We don't even need to call ourselves experts, but you're doing yourself and other people who are practicing the work that you're obsessed with and you're interested in a disservice by saying that you don't know enough. Because especially if you're studying all the time constantly, then you're kind of putting down other people by saying like, well, in order to be a real expert, you have to get two PhDs in this and then you can teach it to people. It's like, that's not true, bro. Also, like, I just want to shine a light on the fact that certification programs can be a gatekeeping, right? If you think about like how expensive some certification programs in the healing arts can be, and so many of these practices are practices that have been passed down from generations that were traditionally free or where you would apprentice with a teacher and you wouldn't pay anything, but you'd help them with work in order to sort of get your credibility and get your education. And we live in capitalism and we've definitely commodified healing. And we see that in certification programs that pop up around things like crystal healing and yoga teacher training and this, that, and the other thing, right? Reiki certifications. And I'm not saying that all certifications are bad at all. But I am saying that those can potentially be a gatekeeper to information and you have to be either affluent enough to pay for them because they can be thousands of dollars or you need to have the access in terms of knowing someone who can teach you or you need to have the time. If you experience time poverty, then often a certification program, especially an immersive certification program where you're going away for a month to do yoga teacher training or meditation training or whatever it might be, you just can't do that. Like if you experience time poverty because you're working a full-time job and maybe taking care of a kid or two, you only have nights and weekends to work and to learn. So that isn't the most like accessible and inclusive potential way for us to be educating people and creating more credibility around these programs. You know what I mean? So that's experts. And then finally, our last archetype is the soloist. Soloists dislike being part of a team and will often refuse help, seeing it as a sign of incompetence or weakness. I think of these people as the ones who have lone wolf syndrome, which by the way, I've been like all of these archetypes throughout my life. I definitely identify with like wanting to sort of be by myself for a lot of reasons. I mean, I would definitely say that 
part of the reason that I wanted to work by myself is because it was really stressful for me to be responsible for other people. And I, I felt like, well, if I fail, it's okay. But if I fail and other people's like livelihood is on the line, then that's a lot of pressure for me and I'm not sure I can handle it. But sometimes, you know, that's actually my soloist coming out and saying, well, I just want to do it by myself. I don't need the help. I can do this. It's not that hard. It's not that big of a deal. And this is a kind of a form of individualism that shows up in capitalism. When I was teaching this class with Amanda, I was talking about these archetypes and someone really brilliant brought this up. And I I can't remember who it was in the chat, but they said, you know, so many of these archetypes and imposter syndrome, they're fueled by individualistic tendencies or natures of like, being singular and alone. And that is how imposter syndrome thrives, right? Imposter syndrome thrives when we build a moat around ourselves and we make ourselves impossible to reach because we don't want people to like potentially throw stones at our glass house, right? We don't want people's feedback. We don't want their negativity. We don't want them to tell us that we're wrong. We don't want them to cast us down, but it also means that we're isolated and alienated from other people. And that's the very thing that feeds imposter syndrome, which is shame and us not being able to talk about it. Amanda put this so eloquently in our class. So these five archetypes of imposter syndrome, superhero, natural genius, perfectionist, expert, soloist, they all show up. And I feel like they all have very different sort of like motives or yeah, we'll we'll use the word motives. They're really incentivized by different things. And I think that having and isolating which potential archetype you might be or you might have can help us identify why we might want to be a quote unquote expert or show ourselves as an expert in our space, right? Why we might want to create credibility around ourselves and what might be either holding us back from doing that. So keeping us small, keeping us scared, keeping us from showing ourselves to the world and showing the world our our light or the opposite, preventing us from being honest and authentic and making us sort of like flex in an inauthentic way, I guess I could say, and tell people that we are have sort of like this pseudo level of confidence where we're talking about how amazing we are and how expert we are and how genius we are. And really we're just scared, kind of not sure if we're on the right path or not, and just trying to figure it out. And that is the worst feeling in the world when you're projecting to everyone else that you feel one way, but inside you feel the absolute opposite. That sucks. And I don't want that for you because that's paralyzing and that's not the point of your work. Your work is to, is meant to feel expansive and spacious and it should inspire you and it should inspire the people that you work with. And whether those are people who are your employees or your teammates or they're people who you actually help. So let's talk about where do we go from here, right? If we've acknowledged our imposter syndrome and we want to be experts, we want to show up in the world. I keep saying the word expert and I hope you know that I kind of don't really mean it. When I say quote unquote expert, I just mean we want to be able to show up owning it, right? Owning what we know and also owning that we don't know everything in the world. And I personally would not call myself an expert in anything. I mean, if someone asked me like, what are you an expert in? I guess I would say like being myself, but even then I'm not always an expert in being Michelle. (laughs) You know, sometimes I'm like, I don't get this person. What is up with my brain? This is so weird. So I don't think you need to feel like an expert in order to like do really amazing work. And while I wouldn't necessarily call myself an expert outright, I know a lot about a lot of stuff. 
I've had lots of experiences. I've had lots of practice. I've had lots of study. I've made lots of mistakes. And all of that gives me a level of confidence in my abilities. Even if I don't call myself an expert, I know that I have something valuable to share and to give to lots of people, to lots and lots of people. And it's my absolute honor to be able to deliver information and tools and help through my experiences to those of you who maybe you're listening out there. So I think that ideally that's the place that we want to be at, right? We want to acknowledge and be humble and say, you know, I don't know everything, but I do know a lot. And more importantly, like what I'm here to do is get in front of people and help them. I'm not necessarily here to like elevate myself and be the center of attention, but what I am here to do is fulfill my purpose and like help make this world better. So how can we do that? How can we find and strike a happy medium or a happy balance between the two of these things? Well, the first thing that we need to do is just create credibility for ourselves. Okay. So to establish some credibility in our space, we want to show people instead of telling them that we're experts. Because when we just slap hashtag expert onto our Instagram bio, it's not so believable, shockingly enough. So there are a couple of different ways to create credibility in your space and for yourself and the work that you're doing. The first way to create credibility, if you think about your credit score, which is sort of like a credibility index, right? Although credit scores are fucking whack, but we're going to use that example. One of the ways that you increase your credit score over time is to just have a credit score. So the sooner you start a credit card and you open up a credit card, the better your credit is going to be over time because one thing that credit card companies look at is how long you've had a credit card because it shows that you're responsible, right, in some way. I would argue that there's other insidious reasons that they put that as your part of your credit card score, like they want people to be using credit cards earlier in life when they don't understand them. But that's neither here nor there. What are my conspiracy theories around for? Mm, anyways. I remember when I first opened a credit card, I was like 22 and I didn't understand how to do it. And I had such a hard time, <laughs> even though I'd had a job and like was making not good money, but not bad money, enough money to like have a credit card. I'd never opened a credit card before. I, I, and it was really hard for me to convince Chase Bank to give me a credit card, weirdly enough. And now that I've had a credit card for almost a decade, it's much easier for me to convince Amex to give me a credit card, right? So it's the same thing with our credibility. We want to show up and the way that we can show up and create credibility is by existing and stepping outside and saying, you know what, I do this thing. And like, I've been in this space for a while. If you talk to people who call themselves experts, often what they do is say, I've been in this industry for the last 10 years, or I've been working on startups for two decades, or I've spent five years studying research around ghosts, right? Because when we can tell people that this isn't just like uh I was about to say a drop in the bucket, but when we can make it really clear that we are dedicated to the work that we're doing, we often do that by saying, I've been working on this and focused on this thing for a long period of time because it shows that we're not sort of like wishy-washy in some way. Now, I would argue that there are lots of manifesting generators out there who jump from thing to thing to thing, and that doesn't make them wishy-washy or flaky. It just makes them interested in lots of things. And I would argue that there are lots of generators out there who focus on something for a really long period of time, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they enjoy it and that they're an expert in it. But again, 
we don't want to like get into black and white thinking. There are, there's lots of nuance here, but in general, when someone is, has been working on something for a long period of time, we understand that we can trust them. They're not going to flake out on us. They've got some level of consistency and they're in it for the long haul. There's some longevity to the work that they're doing. And that means that they're probably less likely to screw us over because they're not looking to make a quick buck because they've been doing this thing for a while. And it also means that they've got some experience, right? They've got lived experience. So if you're worried about not being an expert in something, if you're worried about establishing your credibility, I would recommend getting started on the thing, just doing it. Get started on whatever it is that you want to become an expert in and don't wait. It's just like when we talked about an SEO, getting your website up and running because that's going to even if you don't have a lot to put on there, even if you're not exactly ready to launch your business, because the longer you have a website, the more weight Google gives it. It's just like a credit score. I think we actually used that analogy last time. Same thing here. Just get started. Just get started in this space. Don't wait. If you're interested, begin. You don't need to like have a big grand opening, you know, blowout and tell everyone that you're quitting your job and this is what you're doing full time. You can dip your toe in the water and still sort of like carve out a space for yourself as you figure out what it is that you want to do and what you want to be an expert in or what you want to learn more about or how you want to help people. That would be my first recommendation. Just get started. My next recommendation would be to start teaching. <laughs> and now I know that this might sound like a little bit out of left field, but one of the best ways that we can really metabolize information and understand it for ourselves is to teach it to another person. I don't know if you've ever worked at a company where you took on a new role and you were trained in the role. And then a couple months later, maybe you moved up or maybe someone else on your team got hired and they were going to take over aspects of your business. And when you had to teach your skills to that person, you realized First and foremost, you're actually really good at what you do. And second, that you're actually kind of an expert in this thing. And that six months ago, you definitely weren't. You did not know what you were doing. You were fucking it up all the time. But once you have to teach it to another person, it asks you to really like internalize and understand the concepts that you're practicing on a day-to-day -day basis. And when you teach it to another, then you become an expert. And this gets thrown around a lot. Like one of the best ways to become an expert, quote unquote, is to teach what you know to somebody else because it asks you to sort of articulate your thoughts and ideas and feelings that maybe have been sort of floating around in a cytoplasmic soup in your brain and put them on paper, or put them in a, a Canva template slideshow and regurgitate them to somebody else in a way that they can understand. So if you want to become an expert in something, first try to teach it to somebody else. And you can do that by teaching for free, right? You can teach free classes. You can do that by making content, whether it's free content where you write a blog post or where you create a slideshow that goes up on your Instagram, or even, I don't know, you could create like a summit around an idea or a topic and have lots of guest experts come in. Or even when you teach a course. So if you want to teach an online course, one of the best ways to become an expert and to establish your credibility is to be a teacher on a topic or a teacher on a subject. And of course, you shouldn't be teaching online courses if you haven't gotten results for yourself or for other people, because then you're just a fraudster and we don't love that look for you. In fact, we really hate that look for you. But if you've been able to get results for yourself or for clients or for students, then you can absolutely teach what you know to other people. 
And then finally, a way to establish credibility in anything that you do is to acknowledge the teachers that you've had that have come before you. I think that we often do the opposite of this, right? We think that what makes us look special and important is saying that we don't have any teachers, that we've channeled information, that no one taught us this, that it's something that came from us uniquely and alone. And that's actually, to me, like such an egoic place to exist. (laughs) Emily and I were talking about this this weekend on the phone. And it also super weird. I wouldn't trust someone who said that they just came up with a methodology all on their lonesome, that it just popped into their brain, that they've never had a teacher or a mentor or a guide help them on their path. First off, I think that that must be untrue. And if they're lying about that, then what else are they lying about? But also like having references is baller, you know, like acknowledging where the information and knowledge that you got came from is objectively cool. And It doesn't take away from your shine to share where your ideas originated or even who inspired your ideas. So I think that that can help us find a little bit more comfort in sharing openly when we say, here are my references or here's what I was thinking about or here's an article that I read that I really gained a lot of information from and I'm going to riff off of this article and go from there. That also like creates real dialogue and community with the people who are listening to you and who you are teaching and who you are sharing with. So those are my ideas around imposter syndrome and how to sort of create credibility for yourself. One of the best ways that you can create credibility is just by being in the world and getting experiences and proving to yourself that you are a credible source because you're getting more experience over time. You're seeing more results and you're learning that you you really do know what you're talking about. Even me, I, I still have moments of totally being like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Am I teaching people the right thing? And then when I hear from my students that what we talk about is working for them or it's changed their lives or it's making them lots of money or it's helped them connect to their own intuition, I'm like, okay, great, good. Okay, cool. I knew that it worked, but because I know that it works and it's worked for so many people, but it's it's nice to see it happen in real life. So That's what I have for you today. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the 12th House Podcast. I would love to hear from you how imposter syndrome shows up in your life because boy, oh boy, do I know that it shows up for me. And let us know in... We'll post about this on Instagram. So let us know on Instagram what you think about imposter syndrome and how you're going to begin creating credibility in your world. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I so appreciate it. We so appreciate it as a team. And I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode and I will see you next week. Bye.